Hello and welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels Podcast Hour. I'm your host Ming Canada. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement locally and internationally. Erin Stuckey, welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ming. It's great to be here. So Dr. Erin Stuckey is an epidemiologist and program officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, focusing on polio eradication. They contribute to the last mile of polio eradication by working with government and NGO partners to increase coverage of routine immunization and other essential health services in areas at high risk for polio in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And just for people who are not familiar with the field of epi- <laughs> I always struggle with the words, excuse yeah. me, epidemiologist, um, epidemiology, can you just give us a brief, brief uh, overview of what that is? Sure. So epidemiology and epidemiology, it sounds like epidermiology. So a lot of times people think it has something to do with the skin. Um, but epidemiology is the study of infectious disease dynamics or really doesn't have to be infectious disease, it's just health dynamics. Um, And so as a doctor, a medical doctor focuses on an individual patient. So what's going on with you or with me, um, diagnosing, treating, and what's what's happening within our bodies. Uh, Epidemiologists look at population as a whole. So we can say, okay, well, what's going on in this group of people? What if, or for a specific disease, how, who is getting this disease, where, how is it being transmitted? So it's kind of population level rather than individual level. So that's fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, because I know, I know our listeners are, you know, some of them will be uh, unfamiliar with that. And so moving on to the Gates yeah. Foundation and what they, um, what was their impetus for wanting to uh, eradicate polio? What got them started on this whole issue? I think that until until then, um, when the Gates Foundation got started kind of in the early 2000s, um, the GPEI, so Global Polio Eradication Initiative, had already been going on for several decades. Um, so Bill and Melinda, so our, our co-chairs, wanted to get involved. Uh, it's making sure that we can have um, a polio-free world. You know, there's a lot of resources, a lot of effort that goes into programs and it's important that, um, that, that we can finish, finish the job to have a, a polio-free world. I think it's, it, it comes back to the equity problem and it's, and it's the right thing to do and, and it is possible. I was thinking that it's just so important for uh, all these you know, organizations, foundations, whether that be Rotary or Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to really put a huge amount of funding and human resource into this issue. Um, you know, uh, as you may know, I, I was, I contracted the virus when I was a toddler. And so it's definitely uh, something that still affects people, as you know, very well, albeit a much, much smaller number, but it's still um, in existence. And so moving on to, to, you know, polio eradication, um, 
so so what two countries do we see do we still see cases of polio and why has it been particularly uh, difficult to eradicate it from these two regions so we have uh, cases remaining there's only two endemic countries that's pakistan and afghanistan and we just earlier this year a couple couple months ago actually in august the entire Africa region was certified wild poliovirus free, which is huge. This is, this is incredible. So it was certified by the World Health Organization. And uh, I think that at the beginning of, of the partnership, it, it seemed like such a long road ahead, but I think that goes to show that it, it is possible to, to finish, finish this job in the last two places. And what's making it really, what's making it really difficult is um, in both places, the it, well, especially in Afghanistan, there's the continuing insecurity that's going on. You know, there's there's been there's been fighting, there's been war there for such a long time, and that prevents access for campaigns, and not just campaigns, but the routine health health system. So people aren't able to access the routine vaccinations that they need to keep them and their communities healthy. And so, what happens when we don't have high coverage for routine system, we have to go in with campaigns. So during campaigns, someone knocks on your door and they have the, the oral polio uh, vaccine drops and, and they're, vaccinating, uh, they're vaccinating young children. And to do that, you have to do that over and over and over again. It's really difficult in these places to reach every last child um, with, with these campaigns. So we're seeing that there's not uh, there's not that population level immunity that we need, but again, it is possible to to do this, and we're trying to shift our strategies accordingly. And so that involves, for example, working more on the routine systems. So in some places, it's um, it's not allowed to do house to house campaigns. So then we have to kind of adjust and and strategize for how can we reach children, and then it becomes even much more important to really center on the communities that are experiencing polio infection and, and, and really understand, you know, for each case, you know, what, what, it, what is this community like? How can we, uh, why are they not being accessed uh, by, the, by the campaigns and how can we work with them and with the community leaders to improve that access? So it becomes even more important to, to, to focus on the, the individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what were the crucial factors that helped, you know, polio get eradicated from, from Nigeria and hence Africa at large? You know, in terms of finding every last child, that's been important. Another, another crucial, really important factor was making sure that communities are invested and really are bought into the need to, to implement these programs and, tr and, to finish, and to finish the job. So in, there has been times when, when polio and the, the campaigns have been used kind of as a, a political tool. And really it was the work of, of all the organizations working with the communities to, to make it hand in hand, to make sure that this is, that this is something that, um, that leaders recognize is important to the health of their communities and there's benefits to them as well. And so in, we're lucky in, at the moment that, you know, it's polio is not being, it's not being used in, in that, as, as a tool in that way at the moment. Um, and so at, at this point, it's working with, the, with, with all of the partners, with the governments in the, in the two remaining countries to, to have solutions that are, that are encompassing all the parties. It's not a, 
it's not something that is anyone's agenda except for the health of the population and and so we're working we're working through that yeah and just uh following up from a point you just alluded to so what resources and attitude uh, changes needs to happen for these last two countries in order to help um, get polio eradicated faster. So I know in Nigeria at some point, um, the reason it took so long, one of the reasons, obviously it's a complex uh, issue, um, was because of misconceptions about Western education and culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there, so there are definitely refusals on among communities. I mean, the same thing is in the U.S. There's people that don't that don't want to accept vaccines. I think that that's going to be the case uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, but I think that it's it's so important to again going back to this working with with communities and being really in tune to what their concerns are. Um, people refuse for a, a number of different reasons. Sometimes it's because there it's misconceptions, like you mentioned, like they don't trust what's in that in that vial that that there's somebody coming and knocking on their door and wanting to access their, their precious newborn child. So um, that's one element. Another, another that's really common is, um, is that it's, there's a lot of communities that don't have, that have been marginalized um, and not have resources from the government for a very long time. And so um, let's, let's say like they don't have access to safe drinking water or there hasn't the road to that's between where they live and the main the main access point that road hasn't been paved or there could be a number or there's a health facility but there's not medicines available so a lot of times what we hear are we call those demand based refusals which are people are saying look why should we accept this vaccine when when you know you you keep coming to our door except that you all you come with this polio vaccine what about all these other needs that we have um, people's needs are, are really varied and it's not possible to provide everything at once. But a lot of times we get refusals based on that. So that's why it's, it's really important to adjust a strategy. It's important to work with communities and try to understand how best we can, um, how best we can address their needs where, where possible. So uh, polio in general has been fantastic at being able to pivot, for example, for the COVID response. And being all of that workforce, all the frontline workers were able to, instead of instead of looking going out and looking for polio cases, they were involved with with providing information for communities for for COVID to make sure that there's not that misinformation out there. Um, there's polio workers that were involved in testing and and doing contact tracing and and all of those things. So. You know, there, there's, been a, there's been quite a lot of other ways that the polio program has been able to support communities. And so we're, we're always looking for opportunities to connect the, the, the programs as much as possible so that this workforce and really the program is a benefit to countries in the long term, long after polio has been eradicated. I don't know um, how others feel, but just from looking at the news, it seems like countries are working on a country by country basis to, to come up with a vaccination or about collaborating together to come up with a vaccine that works for everybody around the globe, regardless of which country you're in. Um, do you have any uh, input or insight to add to that? 
No, absolutely. That's that's a, such a great point. It is it is so incredibly and it's really important. It's it is incredibly important that 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 the world as a whole is able to to work together collaboratively. And if everyone kind of goes off in their own corner and says we're going to do this alone, it's going to take longer. It's going to be more expensive. And also, we're not learning from from the countries that really have experience in in these areas. I mean, we, we saw for COVID, for example, there are many countries in, in, um, in Sub-Saharan Africa as well as Southeast Asia that had a much, you know, much more uh, timely response to COVID than, than the U.S., for example, did. And that's because of experience with other outbreak situations. So if we don't, if we don't have this collaboration, then we're missing out for everyone. And I think also I wanted to point out the, the Gates Foundation recently released their Goalkeepers report. And Goalkeepers is, it, it takes a look at it, that overall progress on, on certain human development and health indicators and how we're doing on these things. And one of the things that came out is they did some, some analysis and, and some simulations about for the, for the COVID vaccine, what would be the lives averted or lives saved if, if every country kind of had their own vaccination plan versus one that versus a vaccination plan that was equity focused, so targeted towards the folks that need it most, and there was a there was a huge difference in the lives saved by going with the equity approach. So it really is better for everyone to collaborate. Um, in terms of what about the structures in place in terms of systems that enables com countries to be able to collaborate well together on a on global health issues um, what are they um, especially given you know the relationships that that the US has affected in recent months yeah there's so there's a number there's a number of different global mechanisms or global bodies for polio I mentioned the, the global polio eradication initiative and so that is, the Gates Foundation, it's Rotary International, the US CDC, the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. And so that's that's one way that for the polio program, there's there's committees, there's for everything you could possibly think of, there's a committee, and everyone is involved in in making decisions and making policy, and and it really is a, a truly part it is a partnership in the in the true sense of that word. Um, for the for the global and other contexts, so there's the World Health Organization um, that really has um, takes the lead in developing uh, guidance guidelines policies when it comes to health and and the country governments really look towards the WHO for guidance on on those uh, on those on those elements. Um, otherwise, there's and there's also grassroots efforts. There's there there are um, plenty of uh, plenty of activists, there's plenty of um, NGOs, there's lots of different ways that um, these folks can come together and make sure to influence policy in that way. Uh, th that's, I, I firmly believe that you, you need all of these different actors and everyone has a role to play. Um, if you, you can't only have governments, you can't only have multilateral organizations, you can't only have NGOs. It's important to have that dynamic and, and everyone kind of keeps each other making sure that we're not forgetting everything. And it's not perfect and everything doesn't, doesn't work exactly right all the time. 
And I think that as long as we're focused on moving forward, that it's helpful. Um, there's, it's definitely way more difficult when we don't have support of governments for, for certain institutions. So, um, you know, it's difficult to say, it's difficult to say um, kind of what the future will look like. I'm, I'm very curious to see in terms of what's gonna come out of COVID and, and hopefully once in polio is eradicated, you know, what does the global architecture need to look like moving forward? Um, how can we make sure that everyone's needs are, are, are met? Um, and people that are, and, and, and people and agencies and, and different institutions are able to contribute um, because I think when, once things get stagnant, it's, it makes it more difficult to make progress. So there's always an opportunity to kind of turn that lens inward and it's important for everyone to do that. Exactly. And so last question here, given the, I'm sure you're aware of the controversy and, you know, all the drama surrounding U.S. relations and WHO, um, what can you speak on in terms of the effectiveness of WHO in, um, tackling global health issues such as the coronavirus and you know talk about it really from from your experience with the bill and melinda gates foundation in the various health issues that you've worked on polio malaria other other things yeah yeah and i just i mean i, I do want to say that we we don't know what the impact will be yet of of um of any changes for the for the WHO and, and in terms of what the U.S. support will or won't be for that, I think every every that's not something that that anyone can speak to at the moment. But I will say that the WHO has an absolutely critical role and has been leading the efforts in a lot of ways in many of these disease eradication efforts. So they're a core partner of GPEI. They're you know in in, in the Pakistan program, for example, they're. Um, all of the partners are in the emergency operations center. Um, there's a core group. WHO is certainly there. Um, you know, they're they're taking the lead with a lot of the elements of of the work um, for both the campaigns as well as strengthening the routine immunization system. I think that's a real benefit to what WHO can offer is they do have that broad based knowledge to be able to uh, to be able to connect kind of the individual campaign efforts with the broader health system approach. And for malaria as well, I mean, WHO has been certainly a champion for, for malaria programs worldwide, and the Gates Foundation works really closely with the WHO on, on malaria and, and will continue to do so in the future, um, especially when it comes to making sure that there's policies in place at the country level, at the global and the country level, to help to make sure that programs can can do what they need to do, and that the, the health systems of countries are are taking the the most recent knowledge and evidence and all of the of all the good technical stuff into account and can apply that into practice. So that's that's the role that's the role that the WHO takes, and it it does help that it's it is. Um, it's an organization that is not tied to any one specific country, uh, that it is, it is something that is, it is there for the world's benefit. Thank you for emphasizing that, you know, in, in helping us understand what an important role, you know, the WHO does play in the, in the global health. Anyways, yeah. you've been very eloquent and very insightful. Thank you so much, Aaron, and helping us understand the, 
the field, you know, the word that I can't pronounce, the field of epidemiology. So uh, I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners and viewers well too. Thank you so much, Ming. I think your podcast is fantastic. And I cannot wait to see all of these more, all the other interviews that, that come out. So thanks for doing what you do. It's, it's really fantastic. I only know what it's like in America And shutting doors, I don't think that's right Thanks for listening to another Trips in Global on Wheels podcast hour. Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey, and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must-haves. Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips in Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy, worldly and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates that means we want to hear from you our listeners send us an email at tgow podcast at gmail.com let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel how do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries what language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the Contact Us section of our website or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.